So, shall I start? <laughs> I apologize for that technical glitch. Hmm. Um, so, in 1994, I'll say this again now, um, the Tesco Club card was trialed for 10 weeks. At the end of the trial, the Tesco chairman was presented with the findings. And he said, this really worries me because you seem to know more about my business in three months than I've learned in 30 years. That was 26 years ago. And now Tesco, uh, and neither have their rivals, they know more about ourselves than we do. So the first thing that will on a smart Introduction, I am David Griffith and I am from Entermon and I'm here today on behalf of the Entermon, which is the Wales. That's the partnership with the Welsh Government as part of the Transforming Towns agenda. Many of you will have uh, attended our previous webinar, which highlighted some of the smart town activities already happening in Wales. We learned about the excellent work Clive is doing in Abertavi and the work of Patrum we are delivering in Gwynedd and Dennis Morn. So in the light of that and the positive response, uh, we are working with the Welsh Government to put these, this series of masterclasses together. This also aligns with the All Wales Grant Scheme within Transforming Towns, which will be available from April next year. That grant scheme will, will provide a flexible package of support which will include funding to support towns to adopt digital, digital technology and become smarter towns. Therefore, these masterclasses will be useful for those towns thinking of applying for support. The scheme is currently being finalized and more information will be available. 
Our first masterclass, we are starting with the why. Why create a smart town? Because if you don't know why, no point in saying the what or the how. To help us answer this question, we have been joined by speakers that have significant experience in cities across the globe. Are there lessons we can take from Abbott? We can apply for the Swift. Can Solver learn from Singapore? We are being joined by four speakers, after which there'll be a panel discussion. I would ask that the audience post their questions on the Q&A function, and we will present those to the panelists at the end. Our first speaker is also supporting us throughout the series. Linda Chandler has helped put together a programme and has recruited the speakers. I will be relying a lot on Linda over the coming months. Now, Linda is a global smart cities advisor. Her current focus is around data exchanges for real estate and energy, smart city microservice platforms, and co-working on the high street. Data has been a key thread running through Linda's career from her experience with analytics startups in, in the mid nineties through to a focus on strategy and data and to experience the data platforms for cities such as Glasgow and Singapore. Linda previously um, was the smart cities lead for Microsoft uh, services and has experienced many facets of technology industry, having worked with system inter integrators, line independent software vendors, and an analyst firm, and a number of startups. So Linda's going to start off with a talk, which is titled, What is a Smart Town, and Why Would You Become? So on that, I will transfer over to Linda. Thank you, Linda. That's great. Thanks for that in, uh, introduction, David. Um, I'm just going to share my screen. Um, and I hope the audio is good here. Okay, can you see my screen and is the audio okay? Okay, brilliant, thanks. Okay, so just to talk to, um, you know, why become a smart town? Um, as David said, I've had a quite an interesting journey through the smart city landscape. And this particular picture is actually of Vietnam. And I just wanted to illustrate that the conversation is happening globally. But actually, although it's a global conversation, it's intensely local. And that's the subject of our talk today. How do we apply that at a more local level? So with the, the smart town agenda, um, and, and actually just generally in the world now, why now? Why are we talking about it? It seems that everywhere we're talking about technology. And in fact, we're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. And so we've had technology much of as as a back office device enabling what we're doing. And with the cyber physical systems and the fourth industrial revolution, we're really seeing how digital technology is coming to the forefront and actually being blended with physical assets. The smart cities history goes back over a decade or so um, when IBM first started to coin the phrase smarter city in mainland Europe, in Barcelona. And in 2012, actually, the UK government got involved and started to put smart cities at the heart of the industrial strategy agenda. Um, there was a, a catapult that was launched in a competition of which Glasgow was the winner. 
And Glasgow built a great foundation for smart cities, which has now spread throughout the region. And we're going to hear Wendy talk about Aberdeen later on. And so you might argue that a decade ago, it was only the big cities that had uh, the uh, investment um, for smart city technology. But actually, with the democratization of technology, the per pervasiveness of uh, computers and phones in our pocket, and technology being embedded into the built environment, you might start to argue that it's becoming affordable and pervasive enough to make a difference at our community level. And as we talk through the concepts, I really want you to think about the smart cities agenda is completely interchangeable with smart towns, given all this democratization that's happening around us. So do you live in a smart city? And I always call this the taxi driver test, actually. So if you went to a, a London, a Singapore, a Barcelona, and you asked this question of taxi drivers, you'd probably get a variety of responses, I can imagine. But actually, what we're probably concluding is that they probably won't say they live in a smart city. And that's probably because the smartness is concentrated in the city centre. And actually, when we evaluate the smartness of a place, it's really about the few streets in where we live, we work, or we commute to work, we drop the kids off at school, we shop. And so the technology has to be completely pervasive to our way of life for us to recognise that. I live in a terraced house in St Albans, just north of London, and I think of the smart technology that has been enduring in the housing stock in which I live. And the enduring technology of the day, of course, was electricity and indoor plumbing. And, and I can't think of a house in our road that hasn't got that technology. Um, and it's great to think about the, the endurance of that. And we, we don't think of it as an innovation, but it's something that lasted. And we've all adopted it because it's useful to our everyday lives. And when we start to think of digital technology, we've really got to think that it, it's got to be in the everyday. It's got to be something that's very tangible and useful to us. Smart cities is a really big concept and it's really helpful to think about a framework um, and to break it down into the pillars and this gives us a, a real landscape of how we can prioritise and choose what our city or town might be interested in. Um, no town can do it all and we must prioritise. So it is helpful to actually break it down into these different um, initiatives. But actually the trick is to join them up again and technology and data makes joining up um, very easy for us. Um, but we, we've got to break down those silos and bring everything together. And some really great examples of this, um, really eight years apart, are from Norfolk uh, in the, the top right hand corner and from Newcastle more recently in 2019. And what we're seeing is how a, a place has embraced all of those pillars. They've embraced the stakeholders, both private sector, public sector, academia, and they've really started to look at economic development and sustainability and bring everything together um, with localization at its heart. So that's really the trick about how we think about the smartness for our place. So if 
that's the what of a smart time at smart town then why would you become one and it's all tied up in solving real world challenges when we look at the future of the high street we're addressing the twin challenges of regeneration and sustainability and we know now that it's not just about retail. We accept that um, and embrace online shopping, but understand that actually it's complemented by the physical experiences, spaces and the service. Mobility is really key. How we get to our town centres, the sustainable travel agenda, EV charging, it's all really crucial to our net zero future. And how we enable our public spaces, what's the digital infrastructure that we require in both urban and rural living? And let's not forget putting people and community at the heart of what we do in our town centres, the placemaking agenda, enabling broad population engagement and population health. If we look at the future of work, we're talking about the challenge of economic development and prosperity. Recently, there's been a lot of interest in the concept of the 15-minute city and how all our needs can be met um, within a 15-minute sustainable journey from our homes. And that's somewhat of an aspiration. But it does include the workplace. And many of us um, currently working from home have probably uh, less than a one-minute journey to our workplaces. But as the conditions um, of the pandemic start to ease, we know that actually we will want to start to venture out and perhaps work more near to home than actually at home and of course going back into the offices for part of the week and that might be as simple as a, a coffee shop a coffee shop on your high street the the concept of the 100 mile city is one of economic influence and the benefits that can accrue from having um, a, a condensed centre that spill out uh, from that. And actually the 100 miles is really an economic influence area, which is around uh, a travel to work area. But if digital is our medium of traveling to work, then actually the economic influence can be argued to be global in that respect. And also, rather than concentrating our work in cities and city centres, why not embrace a network of our polycentric towns and communities and a variety of physical locations in which we can work? And, and I call this work local, and I know it's something that the Welsh Government are particularly focused on in the Transforming Towns agenda. And I think the final challenge that we need to look at is around the future of ageing. And the challenge here is one of inclusion. And in fact, it's undeniable that we have a global ageing population, but sometimes the smart concepts that we introduce to our places can often exclude. I've got a friend who's visually impaired and he often cites the um, example of ticket machines and how if you move from a very tactile ticket machine to an on-screen ticket machine that actually doesn't have a screen reader, it can actually alienate um, a lot of society that are trying to use that interface. And as we age and as um, visual uh, conditions become more prevalent in the population, that segment of society is only getting larger. So we need to really think about inclusive design at the centre of everything smart that we bring into our society. We, we really need to design for a narrow use case, first of all, and then extend that to the many.
And I would also say that we can't consider aging population as, as something that we, we feel is very distant for us. Um, we're all aging and we should start to think about how we want to design uh, towns and cities for our future selves, how we would like to live that future life and enable a more tech savvy generation that's coming through. And so there are many definitions of smart cities and smart towns, but I really like this one from the British Standards Institute. And I think it speaks to the, the topics that we've covered today in terms of integration, how we start to cross all those pillows and, uh, pillars and silos of towns. Um, we talked to the physical, the digital and the human coming together, very much this cyber physical of the fourth industrial revolution. And it talks to sustainability, the future of the high street, prosperity and the future of work and inclusivity and the aging population. So I hope that's teed up our discussions for today. And I really look forward to the next presentations and the discussion and the Q&A. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, and I'm certainly aging quickly trying to run a webinar with technology. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think we're, we're rolling. I hope people can, can hear me now a bit better. Uh, so our next speaker is uh, Wendy Robertson. Now, Wendy is Digital Infrastructure and Smart City Lead for Aberdeen City Council. That's a long title. Her work includes running the digital programme for Aberdeen City uh, Region Deal. The city region provides the opportunity to create a sustainable infrastructure from which the region can transform into a world-class digital area. Also, as the Smart uh, Lead, um, for apologies, I've lost my spot there. Um, yeah, also as the smart lead, Aberdeen aims to expand smart city capabilities and deliver city priorities through improved community engagement, integration, and service delivery and innovation. And these talks entitled Why Aberdeen Became a Smart City. So over to you, Wendy. Thank you. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. I'll just share my screen. Can everyone see that? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background. I'm Wendy Robertson. I'm the Digital Infrastructure and Smart City Lead for Aberdeen City Council. Um, we have a wide range of, I suppose, what you would class as digital infrastructure projects here under the City Region Deal. And also, as a City Council, we're progressing with our Smart City Strategy and Action Plan. So Aberdeen, the northeast region of Scotland's major contributor to the UK and Scottish economies, we have a strong partnership working between the public and private sectors to ensure to continue these benefits. And we have a strong partnership relationship with the universities here, the college, and also the fire, the police, um, the, the health and social care partnership. It's very much a multi-agency approach, which is the basis of smart city thinking. And um, we recognize the role of digital and data in improving the transforming the economy. Um, Linda had mentioned about energy transition and net zero vision. That's something we're looking at also here. Um, we understand within the public sector there's an increased demand on resources and we have to deliver things more efficiently and more smartly. When you think about the term smart city or when most people hear the term smart city they think it's all about technology, it's all about what technology does and that's correct to an extent but when you think about smart city if you replace the word smart with collaborative, cohesive 
and you think about the technology as the enabler, it's really about the people, the space, and how you make best use of that, and technology is the enabler to do so. So as part of our smart city strategy and key themes, and um, these will be the same, I suppose, pillars as Linda described them around various different local authorities and globally as well. What you have to do and what we've done here is we tailored them to the specific needs of the city here and what our priorities will be. We're looking at the smart public sector, smart technology, smart mobility, digital skills and inclusivity, smart tourism and smart living. Now, we wrote this strategy, I think it was probably about a year, year and a half ago, and we're re revisiting them that now. We're looking at um, a different roadmap. There'll be different priorities post-COVID. So as a city and as a multi-agency approach, we're looking at what are the priorities? What are the biggest challenges we're going to be facing over the next year to two years? And how can technology enable that? And we have, I suppose, key drivers here at a local level. We've got our local outcome improvement plan, which includes all our I suppose community partners here in Aberdeen, we've got our regional economic strategy, we've got our local transport strategy, our regional transport strategy, so digital flows through all that, so I think as a council we have to make sure we make the most of opportunities that they will bring but also make sure there's no duplication and also share our expertise with these different, I suppose these different agencies but also how we can feed into their strategies also. Um, as part of the city region deal, um, we've got three major infrastructure projects here at present. And as a smart city, we understand that the infrastructure is the base layer upon everything else which can be built upon. Um, we have furthered our corporate network um, here, um, connecting up our corporate sites um, to fibre. And on the back of that, City Fibre has invested 40 million um, to deliver services to re residents and businesses here within the city. Um, we also have a full fibre project, gigabit project within the city, the Shire, Aberdeenshire, our region next to us, and also the NHS sites. So again, with this model, we're connecting up all these sites to dark fibre with the contractor SSE then offering services to residents and businesses where as an area wouldn't have been commercially viable previously. We're also furthering our duct network here within the city. We use it currently for traffic management purposes. We have an intelligent um, transport systems team. We have um, CCTV for our traffic live feed and we have fiber to all our um, traffic signals. We also utilize that for our public sector Wi-Fi. We also understand the need to future proof. So as well for traffic management purposes, where we're building further and further 25 kilometers, we see the future and we have to future proof for 5G and for autonomous vehicles. So we want to layer the infrastructure and have that in place to make the most of what opportunities will come in the future. We're also speaking with um, the Scottish Government 5G Centre and we're looking at, um, we're part of the Infralink project, which is one of the, I suppose, first local authorities to be taking part in this, to look at how we make things easier to encourage 5G investment here within the city. And we also are working with the Scottish government on their 5G hubs. The first one was here in Alloa in Scotland, but we very much think there is a case for having one here based in Aberdeen to do with energy transition. Now, when you think about smart city, 
you always think about, yes, we need the technology, we'll have this technology, we'll have that technology. But as anyone who works in this industry knows, it's all about the use cases. You need to identify your challenges. You need to speak to the people you work with in your different services or industries to find out what are their biggest challenges. That is only then when you can think about what technology can do to address these. Um, I suppose even now, digital technology is even more important than ever with more people working from home, schooling children from home, you know, and, it, and any other issues that may come in the future, you need to have that connectivity. But also it can have other opportunities. We have a LoRaWAN network here in Aberdeen, which um, powers our intelligent street lighting. Um, this should be rolled out across the whole city, but it's very much, we use it for monitoring our street lighting system, but it's more about the communications network and what we do with that. So on the back of that, the network covers the whole city and we have small use cases to do with bin sensors and also to do with flooding. Now we are working with our kind of partners and also our services here within the council to speak to them to find out, say for example, what does that mean for energy management? What does that mean for building management, building monitoring? What would you do with council houses? How can sensors help, I suppose, with monitoring the air quality, damp, all these sorts of things that we can discuss, but until we find what is our biggest challenge and then work on that and see how that can be rolled out. And it also very much is important to say when you think about smart city, you really have to bring, I suppose, the other service areas on that journey with you. You need to think about collaboration and communication and really get to the bottom of what their biggest challenges are and how you can help and enable and facilitate that. And that's what our team here in Aberdeen does. It's very much a case of we work across the board. Um, and I think we've got a good reputation here. And I think it's very much that we're very much seen as a facilitator. And also we've got really good communication lines and we, and, and we build upon that. And I think everyone sees the trust in that also. Um, so, I think I've gone a bit off the presentation here, but I think it's very much a case of when you speak to others, um, colleagues and other local authorities, as I have done, um, when you go to your various smart city conferences or conferences you're asked to speak at, it's a really good networking session and you can really have those have those good conversations with others that are doing the same things in their city or different things in their city but also you can think about and discuss lessons learned and, and just have that open collaboration, which is about smart cities and what that's really all about. We very much think here in Aberdeen, and I think other local authorities look to us as well, is we've put a lot of the infrastructure here in place. We also have a 4G small cell network that will be 5G enabled when the time comes. But I think it's very much they look at us as being an exemplary local authority, one that is very much about collaboration and is very much about forging those links, but also about sharing our experience with other local authorities. And that's something that we will continue to do so. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Wendy. If you could stop sharing your screen. So Aberdeen have really um, obviously uh, leaped ahead there. And uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, which you may or may not have heard, but um, we're very keen on seeing how we can take Aberdeen and apply it to places like Aberystwyth. It's, um, and when you, you mentioned flooding and bin sensors, 
and this open source data that is very relevant to hopefully to towns and cities here in Wales. So uh, thank you, Wendy. Um, before we go on to the next speaker, I'd like to remind you to use the Q&A function. Um, so we, at the end of this session, we'll have opportunity to have a, a panel discussion with the, uh, the panelists. And we're very fortunate to have them here for, for the next uh, hour or so. So it's important that we make, make use of them. So I would encourage you to put forward some questions. Um, and also, uh, if you want to, you're on Twitter, you want to use a hashtag. Uh, it'd be great to use the uh, TransFitTowns hashtag and a Trausnevi hashtag. Um, now, our next speaker is Stephen Meredith. Uh, now, Stephen is, a, is the enterprise architect at Cardiff uh, County Council and responsible for overseeing the capital smart city aspirations. He has delivered various digital transformation projects ranging from assisted living to the implementation of an alarm receiving centre. He joined Cardiff uh, Council two years ago and is primarily responsible for working with key, key stakeholders to design and deliver Cardiff City Council's Cardiff Smart City initiative. Cardiff recently developed an ambitious smart city roadmap that aims to Cardiff to become an inclusive, sustainable, healthy and productive city that uses technology and data to enhance the lives of people living and working and visiting the capital. Hopefully that will then emanate across the whole of Wales. So Stephen's talk is titled The Digital Cardiff Journey and Roadmap. So over to you, Stephen. Well, thank you. Thank you, David. Just share my screen. Okay, hopefully you can see my screen. So my name is Stephen Reddiff. I'm the Enterprise Architect at Cardiff Council, and I'm primarily responsible for Cardiff's Smart City um, Roadmap and their Smart City Aspirations. Um, so the Smart City Roadmap has been created. It's gone out to public consultation, and the final version will be out shortly. Um, and it focuses on areas such as collaboration, data, mobility, sustainability, health and connectivity. So what I tried to do today is try and pick some examples of projects that we've worked on that could be easily replicated in town. In town, sorry. We have got other initiatives such as smart parking um, and wearable solutions, etc. But I'm not going to go into those today. I think you know in 10 minutes we'll, we'll stick to the ones that I think could really, really make a difference to some towns. So first one is um, smart bins. So in Cardiff we've got over 500 freestanding bins that are being retrofitted with um, these ultrasonic sonar sensors. And what, what happens is the, the, the sensors send um, the data over the mobile phone network to a cloud-based software application. Um, but the, those sensors are using the mobile phone network at the moment, but they could also use, you know, LoRaWAN, MBIoT, whatever is, is available in your town. Um, the actual solution, um, what, you know, has got loads and loads of functionality. So here's just a, a quick overview. So there are all the bins that we've got in the city. So that they sort of give you like a rag status, if you like. So the red bins need to be emptied in one day, orange, you know, two to three days, green bins, sorry, green dots, four days plus. And the grey bins are the bins that don't have any sensors. And, and the reason they don't have any sensors is because there's a, a different SLA against those, so they'll be collected every day, such as um, shop front bins, um, for instance. And um, the software actually uses machine learning to predict when the bins will be full. So this screenshot was actually taken on the 6th of December, and it's telling us here that the bin will be full on the, the 9th of December. 
Um, it also provides location information, which is obviously really, really useful for asset management and so knowing exactly where your bins are in the city. And um, there is other, obviously there's, there's loads and loads of functionality that this software has, but the, the, the main focus is, is that the application um, provides information on fill levels and collections. So as you can see um, on there, it shows when the bins are getting full and it also shows uh, when the bins have been emptied. That's a month view, but that can be changed to daily, it can be changed to yearly. Um, but the, the, the most important factor, I think, is that the data from the bins is used to inform scheduling and routes are optimized from the data. So what, what does that actually bring? So it reduces vehicle mileage, which reduces vehicle emissions, and it reduces fuel costs. Um, so typically, um, prior to the census, the crews would go out and they would collect between or attend to 80 to 100 bins a day. They now um, attend to about 10 to 20 bins a day. So they only attend the bins that are full or nearly full. Um, and that frees up capacity then, so the operators can go and undertake other work. So they're not all tied up driving around the city and going to bins that don't need emptying. But the additional cost savings are also around um, actually purchasing bins. So what we can do now is we can see what bins are not being used and then obviously pick up those bins and move them to an area where um, there's a higher footfall or a tourist attraction or just, just where they are going to be used. So say, for instance, if a bin hasn't been emptied or doesn't need emptying for 40 odd days, then it's probably in the wrong place and needs to be moved. So the other initiative um, that we've had is, is smart lighting. I mean, Cardiff are quite blessed. We've got a, a really passionate smart lighting team. Um, and when I mean passionately, absolutely love, um, you know, street lighting in general, you know, the whole concept of it. But our street lights are fitted with GPS and they have the ability to send and receive data. So at the moment, we've got just under 16,000 smart LED street lights out there, mostly on strategic routes into the city. Um, and there's a remaining 22, uh, sorry, nearly 22,000, which will be going out to procurement shortly. shortly. So they will cover um, all the residential areas. There is some residential areas already covered in Cardiff because we did them as part of a part of a trial scheme. But the, the actual software application which runs in the background allows us to see all the, the lights, all the smart lighting within the city. Um, and it, it also gives us the ability to detect faulty lights and troubleshooting real time. Where this is really, really useful is that um, I've got to be honest, you need a bit of experience as well um, and looking effort. But it's uh, our street lighting team are really, really passionate. Um, but what, what, they, what they're able to do is they're able to easily see if, if the fault can be fixed by us or if it's like a, a, a power outage, for instance, then obviously we'll go to a utility company. Whereas previously we would go out and have to attend, you know, every single outage, for instance. Now we, we can quickly work out in real time what the actual issue is. Um, we can set up doing schedules um, around the city um, to our street lighting. So there you can see that the lights sort of dim around midnight um, and then they come back on about 6 um, a.m. in the morning. And again, that's to save energy um, and to save costs as well. Um, but we're also able to calculate to the penny the electricity usage on it. And you may think, well, why is that useful? And, and, and it's more future-proofing it. So at the moment, we do connect deployable um, cameras to our street lighting, but in the future, there's every chance we'll deploy 5G small cells uh, and other devices to our street lighting. So it's good for us to know exactly how much those, those devices are costing us to run and how much energy they're also using. Um, so what, what, what have the, been the main benefits to us? So um, mostly 
you know, cost has been massive. So we have an £800,000 per annum saving because the new LED bulbs are so efficient. They also provide a better quality light. So they, they produce a nice white light as opposed to like a, a yellow um, glow colour. Um, and, and as a result of that, we've been the first UK city to be recognised by the International Dark Sky Association for our efforts to reduce artificial lighting. Um, and they also reduce our maintenance costs. So going back to the example I gave earlier, we no longer... Um, well, sorry, we do have to send out crews when obviously the street light, there is a street lighting issue and it's our issue, but we're, e we're able to quickly determine in real time whether or not the fault lies with us. So it saves about £130,000 annually in maintenance and management costs. But looking forward, where I think we've got gaps, and I, and I think this gap applies to most public sector organisations um, throughout the UK, um, is, is this whole data silo. You know, we've got data scatters around the organisation. So I just showed two applications then, street lighting and, um, and our smart bins, smart bin applications. But they're both cloud-based software. And, and as good as cloud-based software is, they can, it can also create additional silos. So I've just picked some service areas in the example there. So we've got traffic, planning, waste management, street lighting, air pollution. If you look at traffic and air pollution, um, these days they sort of come hand in hand, but yet they're two separate departments and they'll have different applications to monitor air pollution and traffic um, and never do the two meet. And when they do meet is generally, you know, you've got to send an email between departments and say, can I have this data? And then what happens is, is a spreadsheet goes back and forth. Um, so you've never got a single version of the truth. The information doesn't flow easily from A to B. Uh, and it makes it really, really difficult to create that data-driven environment. So I, I think we all dream of having, um, you know, all cities do, and, and I would imagine towns are the same. You have, you have this dream that you're going to have all this data, the same as Google and Facebook and all these people that really, really, you know, make the most of their data. But the problem is, is that at the moment, all the data is generally tracked in applications scattered all over, you know, your business or local authority. So we're trying to address it with a, a central data repository. And these come in many names, um, come into many guises. So I've just picked up Data Lake and Data Warehouse, but there's also other ones. But the idea is there that you can get all your anonymized data. So I'm not talking about personal data here, but your anonymized data and be able to put it all together to make it really, you know, easily searchable. And so that everybody has the same copy of the same data. So therefore, you know it's correct. You're also not getting data being sent from the organization willy-nilly. Um, but in order to achieve that, it's, it's quite a big task. And, and, and in order to do it, we, you know, in, I think we've really got to improve our data skills. Um, and that involves additional training. But most importantly, I think you know, we need corporate and organizational buy-in. And the reason is, is that data lakes cost money. To train staff, it costs money. And also, and departments need to be aware that, you know, the, the, the data is a corporate asset. It is for everybody. Um, so we should be sharing it. You shouldn't have to go and ask for information. This should be uh, readily available. So it's important that you have that buy-in. But um, what does it give us? Well, it, you know, like I just said, searchable data, more flexible reporting, better insights, um, and a single version of the truth. So again, you, you shouldn't be getting data, which is, you know, old, everything should be current in there. But it, it really is, I think, where, where most cities are trying to get to. Um, 
I, I know a few have started, but I, I think very few have actually succeeded in getting all their anonymized data up there. And I think that will be the difference between cities, you know, definitely cities and towns, um, either being really, really progressive or, or failing in the future. Um, obviously, like I said, we've got loads more examples, but unfortunately, there are only 10 minute slots. So um, if you have got any questions, my contact details are at the bottom there. And then um, there is our Smart City Roadmap. But thanks a lot for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Is that okay, David? On mute. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Stephen. Um, and I would like to revisit the data, the central data repository uh, in the the panel discussion later on so there's a lot of potential there um so the next uh, speaker is steve turner now uh, steve turner is a director of the connected places catapult uh and for steve is director of the devolved authorities at the connected places catapult with over 25 years of experience working in both public and the private sector in his role he works in the interface between local government and business so prior uh, to this, he was a digital cities leader for Arab, where he delivered the smart city strategy in the UK, Europe, and the Middle East. So again, we have somebody with immense experience in smart cities. Um, so Steve's talk is titled The Social and Economic Benefits of Smart Towns and Communities. So with that, I'll uh, hand over to Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much, David, and um, <clears throat> for that introduction, and thank you very much for inviting me to, to join this, uh, this really interesting webinar and very timely webinar. <clears throat> um, you, you, many of you will be pleased to know that I'm not going to use slides today. Um, I'm just going to talk, so I hope, I hope my face is, is pretty enough. Um, a little bit about Connected Places Catapult, if I may. So we are the government, the UK government's urban innovation agency for towns and cities. And we're really about connecting places, both digitally and physically. As a government funded agency, we have money to invest. So that may be a well of interest to a number of you. Um, but what we don't do, we don't compete in the marketplace with people like my former employees, such as Arab or, or industrial organizations, such as technical companies, such as Siemens. Um, but we, we, we operate in that interstitial space between public sector organizations and industry uh, to create innovation and to stimulate the market. So that's a little about Connected Places Catapult, and you've heard a little bit about me. I was also, um, just for interest, I, I led Manchester's um, Smart Cities work for nearly a decade, um, so I actually worked in, in big city environments as well. I guess to say technology impacting towns, cities and rural places is, is nothing new. They've always been impacted on and always been disrupted by them. Uh, I think the challenge is, is the ability of, of city governments and, and towns and rural areas to actually capture and harness the benefits that technology brings. And we need, you know, we think about the, the invention of the internal combustion engine, how that allowed those places to, to spread horizontally and the elevator allowing them to expand vertically. The, the work we're seeing around digital and data is creating new challenges, but also equally new opportunities. And Linda gave me the title of, of social and economic benefits, which are, are myriad. And I think it's probably fair to say that in, in some ways, and I'm not trying to dodge this, um, I still think there's, there's the case still to be made for some of these benefits. And that's primarily because so many of these technologies are new. And, and as a consequence, 
the actual business case for them over a period of time has yet to be proven. But that's not to say we shouldn't be thinking about investing in innovation and thinking about innovation as an investment rather than a, a nice to do thing. So just a few examples, if I may, of, our, of where we've seen um, technology driving both um, social and economic benefits. We've heard a lot about infrastructure already, so I won't dwell too much on that. But if we start to think about transport infrastructure or energy infrastructure, the use of data essentially allows that infrastructure to be sweated, to be used more effectively. Um, around energy, we can start to think about uh, energy generation, the data collected for energy generation, how much is needed, the demand on that energy source, how much is needed at what particular time, which then allows us to put in storage uh, for energy as well. So data therefore allowing us to be to move towards much more decentralized uh, energy systems, smart grids, for example, um, which are much more customer focused. A second area is around crowdsourcing of ideas for community benefit. Um, quite a few applications out there really, and the Brickstarter being, being one of those, of where very much a low grassroots level, technology allows communities, individuals to come together and, and put forward ideas ways of improving their local environment, things they'd like to see, um, and crowdsourcing those ideas, and then allowing technology companies to come along and create solutions, work with public sector providers and private sector providers to actually build those. We're actually working currently at the Connected Places Catapult on a, on a national innovation platform that starts to link communities and public sector organizations with the local technology system. And that's my third example, if I may, is around um, growth. We talked a lot about reform and efficiency savings, but equally there are opportunities in this sector around growth. And the tech sector itself in, in 2007 and 2008, the last recession, was one of the very, very few that actually grew. Our work so far across local authorities seeming to indicate that as we go into or, or in um, another big recession is that that tech sector is surviving and doing well. Admittedly, when it's working across some domains, such as air travel, there are, there are, there are issues. But a lot of that talent uh, and that, and that uh, pool of skills is being picked up by other technology companies. So we are seeing resilience in the sector. And when you start to look at some of the economic recovery plans that local authorities are putting together, implicitly or explicitly, they are investing in this sector. And I think that's important because they see that sector as a route out for them in terms of economic recovery. And that investment is either in the businesses themselves around skills and training, but also creating the right space and environments for these businesses to start up, to grow uh, and prosper. As I mentioned, the national innovation platform we're developing at the Connected Places Catapult. This is essentially a platform, a digital platform that enables communities, public sector organizations to identify and create challenges. And they could be something from, they are local challenges, they could be potholes in highways, they could be issues around health and social care, around transport, anything really. Um, but that also allows SMEs from the local sector, SMEs in the technology world to come together uh, and to provide solutions, scope out solutions in a collaborative way to some of those challenges. They can also see what the, the, uh, the public sector is procuring, but equally the public sector can, pure, can, can see what capabilities and talent exist within the local ecosystem to provide some of those solutions. So that's really generating not just a win-win in terms of creating 
better places uh, in terms of addressing challenges to, for businesses to, to locate and people wanting to live in a place, but also actually direct investing directly uh, in, in local business. So I'll probably finish there, but with one comment I, I perhaps should have said at the start, which I've often used in the past, which is, and a number of the panelists have also said this, for, for me and, and for my organization, smart cities does not start with the technology. It absolutely starts with the challenge and societal challenges, and then work through those challenges to understand the right technology to address that challenge. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, that was a food for thought. Um, as I mentioned more, we've recently established a smart rural network uh, for, for rural Wales. And uh, a lot of what you said there resonates with our ambition for that. We want to get public organizations, businesses, uh, the communities involved in developing solutions that use technology so we can become more than pure mere consumers of technology in Wales, which, which will happen if we don't take an active role uh, in, in terms of uh, responding to the opportunities. So now we have an opportunity to have a, uh, a group discussion, uh, a panel. Um, but before we will launch into this, I would just like to introduce Clive. Now, Clive spoke at our last webinar. Uh, Clive is the mayor of, of uh, Abertavie Cadigan. He's also a councillor. And he's responsible for really making the digital physical on the streets of Cardigan. So first of all, I'd like to ask uh, Clive for his thoughts on what he's heard and maybe what he's learned, uh, what he can maybe apply from Aberdeen or Glasgow or Cardiff and on the streets of uh, Abertavie. So Clive, what are your thoughts? Uh, thanks, David. Um, it's great uh, to be invited to be part of the panel today. And it's, it, the, the opening uh, statements and, and things said by Linda is great just to frame the whole thing about what we're looking to do. Uh, and it certainly resonates with what we're trying to do. Even though Cardigan is only a population of about 4,000 people, uh, scale has got nothing to do with it. I know Aberdeen, a city of Aberdeen, a city of Cardiff. Uh, what we're trying to do here in Cardigan is very much similar. We're in the early days. Um, the focus here in, in Cardigan has been more of an economic driver, really, with what we've implemented to try and help all the independent traders, because the majority of the economy within the town centre aren't chain stores, because they have the capability themselves to, to find the, the, the intel. So the data that we generate in terms of footfall and dwell and all that stuff um, gets distributed to all the independent traders here to get them to be the same level um, of intelligence and be able to make those decisions really based on the data that we generate for them as a town council. Um, we're in the very early stages of looking at how the public uh, sector, so Cardigan County Council, which I'm a, a member of also as a, a, a on a county level, I'm the digital champion for the council, um, looking at how we can use the Internet of Things uh, across all the towns. And Cardigan definitely is interested in things, some of the sensors that you mentioned, street lighting, the bins, etc. Uh, these are the things that we would love to see happening in, in our town. And already we have got a, a Laura One footprint being developed and is starting to get coverage across the county. And we are in the early stages of looking at the kind of sensors and how we can use uh, different sensors to uh, to help deal with public services as well. So, and some of the things I've seen from from the speakers today has been great to see that you know these things are uh, scalable 
um, and and we can, we can do something like it's a, a town level, small towns like ourselves that can hopefully drive decisions both on the economic side for the independence, but also from the the, the county level from uh, Kerrigan County Council. So, uh, and thanks again, David, for inviting me. Thanks, Clive, and all the work you're doing. It's an interesting one because um, we have been involved in rolling out a project called Pathroom in Gwynedd and Anglesey, and we provide data uh, on footfall, but the challenge is getting the businesses to use it. So it's quite interested. Maybe a question for Wendy in terms of, you know, in Aberdeen, you're, you're uh, collecting data, you've got sensors out there, but is it being used by businesses directly or is it, more, is it used more by by the council and the more, more of the public bodies? Um, certainly here in, in Aberdeen, it's very much being used by the council at present, but we're thinking about the future and we're thinking, what do we need? We'd, we'd thought about a, a regional data exchange, but the business case and the complexities of that, um, we've parked that for just now, but I know as a council, we're very much thinking about master data management, we're using Power BI, we're streamlining our, streamlining our processes, we're trying to make sure that all our internal data is fit for purpose and we can get value from that data. We maybe perhaps see somewhere in the future, maybe sharing data with um, the pu other public sector bodies, whether that be um, the NHS, the fire, the police, but we know these aspirations are, are difficult given the challenge of GDPR. So I think we need to get our own house in order first. Um, certainly when we think about the commercial aspect as well, we worked with consultants that had, I suppose, worked with a regional data exchange in, in one of the other countries. But again, it took a long time to be commercially viable and in the end it failed. So I think what we need to do is you need to think about your city, what's unique about your city, what are your city's industries, um, how can you capitalize on that? What does that mean for businesses? And I think it's really much, it's all to do with, I suppose, having workshops and that engagement with your local sectors to find out what, what data would they need, what data would they want to be available, and also sharing between each other. So I think you need to do the groundwork first. And certainly from a commercial side of things, we're not there yet in Aberdeen yet. And presumably there's lots of nervousness around data, and we've seen that ourselves. So there are examples is it's uh, Transport for London who have opened the data up and lots of innovation emanating from that data. So in, going back to Steve, um, uh, you were mentioning the, uh, the data re repository. Oh, sorry, was it, um, yeah, Stephen, yep. right there, sorry. Um, how far away are we from that? Because if we have to, uh, if we are going to take advantage of this, we have to own our data uh, and provide it for others to use. Do you see that a long way away? I think I think it's I think it's a long process to get everything up there. Yeah, I think I think what what you've got to try and do. So we're at a proof of concept stage on it at the moment. But I think what what you've got to try and do is prioritise what data you think is important um, at the moment, and then concentrate on getting that up there. And um, when I say get that up there, sorry, get that getting that data into the central repository. Um, I think it's just unrealistic to simply you. you you're going to do it overnight or even in a month. You know, I think it's a couple of years to get all the data you wanted in the correct format into a central repository and then make it, you know, add metadata to it so it can be searchable. It takes a long, long time. And, and, and that's what I mean. You really need corporate buy-in and you need skills, the skills in-house to be able to do it. 
Thank so you, is, so in, in short, David, yes, it is achievable, but it, it's a long-term ambition as opposed to a short-term ambition. Yeah. And I certainly and I think, agree with you there, Stephen. Yeah, and the danger is um, we try to excite people about technology and, and the possibilities, but also you have to be realistic. And sometimes you can overexcite people and you, you fail to deliver. So that's one of the challenges we face. So stick with you, uh, Stephen, in terms of there's a question from the, the audience here. So what is the extra cost of smart street lamp over regular ones? Are the extra costs recovered by the savings? Yeah, so I, I've got to be honest, I don't know the exact cost compared to a normal street light, but they, yeah, they, they're going to be more expensive. There's, there's no doubt in that. Yeah. Um, on, on the original 14,000 we procured, um, although now we've got 16,000, the original procurement was 14,000 and the payback period was six years. Mm. So yes, they do pay yourself back, but it, but it, it does take time. And in, in terms of procurement, because uh, we're active in IoT and, uh, and data in, in rural Wales, and we are fairly limited. There are very, three or four very good uh, subcontractors or contractors, but we don't have a huge array of skills in the area. Is that a problem in the cities as well? When you say skills, well, like street lighting skills or skills in, in general? Well, around IoT and LoRaWAN, for example. Are there plenty of people out there to help you deliver? There is, yeah. And there's loads of, in, in Cardiff in particular, there's a lot of um, community groups and enthusiasts that are really interested in this type of stuff. Um, so, so in Cardiff, we, we have got um, LoRaWAN on, on, the main, on our main headquarters, but a lot of the other LoRaWAN gateways have been put up by local enthusiasts in the area. So, that, you know, yes, yes, there, there is skills in the area, which does help. And I'm interested in the local enthusiasts. So is there a, an engagement with, between the public authorities, with, with, between the council and the enthusiasts? And how does yeah. that work? Yeah, so, so they, they, we, there's, there's a few different groups um, in Cardiff, but one of them is called, I think it's the Things Network, um, which is part of, part of Laura One. And um, yeah, I attend, well, pre-COVID, I was attending all their events at the moment, they're on hold. Um, they're not even doing them virtually, I don't believe. But uh, pre-COVID, yes, I attended and we, we help where we can. Yeah, it's interesting because in North Wales, we have the uh, North Wales Tech. We're very active and there's about 500 members. So we're very keen to engage with them if possible. Uh, and uh, one of the speakers was mentioning the, the ecosystem and tapping into that ecosystem. Um, there's a question here for Linda. Um, so how are you engaging with the ageing population? So I guess it kind of depends on um, where are we engaging. Um, and and um, I, I think in, in particular, globally, I think there are many uh, different uh, approaches to this. Uh, so, so certainly I know in, in the UK, there's, um, there, there's been a big government movement for many, many years, starting with the NHS about uh, assisted living. So how do you get more technology um, consumable in the home? Uh, about well-being um, and actually, uh, you know, looking after that ageing population in place, if you like, um, through to in Singapore, where actually it's more of a top-down view. Uh, Singapore build all their own housing, um, uh, and, and actually about 90% is government-built housing. And so they're able to, at the, the forefront of, um, you know, thinking about actually how to embed um, all that's needed actually in the fabric of the building 
uh, and then enable that for aging in place. So I think there are different approaches and different pockets all over the world uh, with this. I think it's more fragmented in the UK. I'm not familiar with what's happening in Wales at the moment. Um, but again, I think it's a huge area to explore and I would say that it's probably got a bit of a boost recently through the well-being agenda and the idea of having wearables and Fitbits. It's really increased the innovation uh, and, and brought down the price point of technology in this area, which is, uh, you know, for general well-being as well as specific use cases around that. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And there's another question for you here. Um, so, Linda, what do you feel is preventing cities from joining the pillars you mentioned? Oh, I, th I think perhaps we've, we've touched on it with uh, both Wendy and Stephen in terms of the, the data side of things. Data is a really hard problem to solve, I think. Um, not, and I think later on in the webinar series, we're actually going to start to drill down in, into data. Um, the, the, the Nirvana is really everybody needs everyone else's data in a city. But Nirvana is how do we share that in, in a privacy preserving way? Um, actually, how are their commercial models around it? There's there's a great open data movement, but actually, uh, you know, if large multinationals are going to start to contribute to some of this, they probably need to look at the commercial aspect. So, so I think that there's a, um, you know, not for profit but commercial aspects to data, and nobody's quite solved that. So I think that's that's one aspect of how it's hard. The other one is um, the the professional disciplines. Um, I I try to work between uh, built environment, mobility and energy. And these adjacent sectors are really hard to get to talk to one another because you'll get deep experts in, in the technology. So take electric vehicles. Um, uh, so great, you get people who are interested in mobility and transportation and they know all the whys and wherefores of uh, autonomous, connected, electric and shared vehicles. And then you've got somebody sitting in energy, which again is very diverse in terms of um, its uh, power systems, but it's oil and gas um, and, and, and actually thinking broadly across those energy sectors. And then you're getting them coming together around electric. So, so actually people in the energy sector they only see electric as part of the transportation agenda and, and the other things kind of fall to the way, wayside. And so it, it's really difficult to get those professionals talking and understanding the problems deeply, I think, of, of those sectors. So, so if, if we can start to bring together more of those uh, um, juxtaposition of, of silos and have uh, really robust conversations, it comes down to the collaboration that was Wendy was talking about and, and that we've all got to learn a little bit more about other people's disciplines. But you know, they're huge agendas in themselves. Um, and sometimes it can get lost in terms of needing to look at the big picture. Thank you, Linda. There's a, another question here from a postgraduate researcher. Uh, you've touched on this anyway, but how much of priority is it to make data open access? Did you, did you hear me? So it, is that for me or for somebody else? Yes, oh, yeah. for, for you, Linda, in terms of priority. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think data access is becoming more and more of a known issue 
and we're slowly edging towards some of the technology um, that, that can solve that. I've, I've been involved in analytics since the mid 90s. So it, in some senses, I've seen lots of different generations of technology trying to solve similar problems. Um, it, it might be one of, uh, of speed because we're always trying to adopt new technology to to solve the problems and we're getting ever closer and but, but there's always new things to explore so blockchain is is quite popular at the moment in terms of trying to to under understand whether it can help us in in uh, issuing smart contracts and starting to uh, uh, really help uh, data at atomic level travel through our system um, but uh, it, it's it, it's really quite challenging but there's there's a lot of focus on it and more people are understanding the issue um, regarding sure. open data, what 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 I always think is is a bit of an issue with it is that um, from from like a local authority level is is what councils seem to do is they they think oh well we we've got this data so we make it open. The problem is is a lot of the time the data they make open is not that useful, and I think that's where Transport for London really excels is that all the data that they've given out open is really really useful. It's not. You know, financial account information is, is is really really useful information that you can build stuff with, and I, I I think if any you know local authorities are starting open data initiatives, they really need to speak you know to the organisations um in their areas and to the, the wider UK and find out exactly what data would be useful, um and that is a case of you know do, do you release drop curb information so people can create apps um for you know better mobility around the city what you know what is the use case and then try and work and, and get that data out because again there's so much data you know you, you need to prioritize it you couldn't release everything in, in one go anyway so it's all about understanding the the, the use case really yeah. thanks Stephen. there's a, another question here i'll we'll bring this a close soon but um there's a very pertinent question here and i'll I'll aim this at Steve Turner. Um, so post-COVID, there will be a hybrid home office working, potentially. So what impact do you see this having on town city centres? Will there be a building repurposing and what you might, what role might digital solutions play in this new world? Did I yeah, thanks, David. I mean, I put a little bit of an answer to this in, in the chat actually so i think a lot of the evidence there's lots of disclaimers attached aren't there to what the post-covid world is going to look like so you know, take anything as read however i think you know i was listening to a very interesting talk by the uh, chief economist at the bank of england actually who, who chairs the the government's industrial strategy forum uh, and their evidence is suggesting and i think it's quite conservative is 30 percent of people who will remain working at home now i think a lot of those people working at home would traditionally would have gone into the core regional centre of our, our towns and cities. That seems to me to indicate, and there's other evidence to point to this by the centre of cities, is that that will be particularly challenging, I think, for regional cores and regional city centres. Um, but a strengthening, perhaps, in, in neighbourhoods, to, to Linda's point about, you know, the 15-minute neighbourhood, the Parisian concept, which is arriving. So you can see a strengthening in neighbourhoods and, and, and local areas, but more challenges potentially for regional cores and regional city centres. Now, we already know that high streets and a number of towns have been facing challenges, not just because of online retailing before COVID occurred. So I think for a lot of places where those challenges will occur, it's a repurposing of the high street, definitely. Seeing innovation coming back into the high street, a number of places are starting to think about, you know, repurposing shops as, as pop-up spaces, 
for cafes, community events? How do you how do you use them for training even around around digital technologies? So I, th I think there's a, there's a there's a you know and somebody else said I, I don't know who it was around it maybe Wendy actually uh, around playing to your strengths and assets and I, I, I took that really strong in my, my work at Manchester. Don't try and invent something new and start from scratch. Play on what your strengths and assets are and really build on those. So, Clive, um, obviously you're you're very involved with in Cardigan. Uh, you've um, you've had to uh, introduce uh, new measures in terms of COVID and street closures, etc. When coming out of COVID now, how what role do you see digital playing in you know at Cardigan post COVID? Um. I see that in 2021, um, we'll be able to try and enhance the, the level of data we can give all to the independent traders that we have in town. Um, you know, we're likely to see, um, hopefully, the tourism sector picking back up, which is one of the main income earners for the town. Um, and I would think that the local authority, Kerrigion, uh, who are implementing a couple of uh, the Laura one and the IoT stuff will start implementing some of the things that will add to that information rather than data to to the town council and also to the to the traders of the town. So, for, for example, one of the things we could do with the, the IoT agenda, and I've been discussing it with uh, a colleague yesterday, was you could have footfall counters in in each of the the shops possibly. And the shops themselves then have a, a bit of intel in terms of how people come to the door compared to what's going into the till. Um, and also then we can also give a sort of helicopter version of the town in terms of data, in terms of footfall and dwell time and what times are the busy periods of the town. So that's one aspect. Um, the public sector side then, yeah, the, the street lighting side of things. Um, and, you know, the town council could also have maybe a dashboard um, and then we can put it on the agenda, maybe, and just to see how which elements of the town need maintenance or uh, need spend. We can help plan budgets as well. So you know, it's exciting, and I think the whole COVID thing has accelerated some of the things that are happening now on the agenda. And there's also about, as you said, the third place. Uh, I think Linda mentioned it. Uh, I always look for a third place, and uh, we've got enough coffee shops in Cardigan. Um, so. Um, you know, so yeah, definitely uh, that aspect as well, I think, can happen in Cardigan. There, there's going to be opportunities, I think, for people to relocate to places like Cardigan and to actually uh, add to the economy and to the the uh, the, um, the spend, I suppose, to help the town flourish in a way. Um, so, you know, it, it's the exciting times, really, I think. Um, I, I know. Uh, let's hope that uh, once we get over COVID that we can actually, uh, you know, uh, excel and uh, take advantage of all these things that we've been doing over over lockdown. Yeah, and um, thank you, Clive. I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the the Welsh government are introducing uh, a new funding round uh, in 2021 uh, around uh, transforming towns and smart town agenda will be part of that. So hopefully, uh, what you've heard today from the the speakers will be useful when it comes to thinking about potential projects within that fund. Um, so I'll bring this section to an end now. So our next webinar, so we have a series of five. Our next webinar is on the January the 14th. It's titled Learning About Towns from Sense Data. So Linda, could I ask you very briefly, I'm springing this on you, to, to say a few words about the next webinar? Yeah, I think what we're trying to do with the series of webinars is to go through from the, 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 the why 
um, the, 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 the what and the how, if you like. So, um, so I think we're now in the next three seminars going to get into a bit more of the, the, the what. And so we're going to start to talk about how you might use data in understanding a town and some of the geospatial elements, the different types of data that you could use and the, the, the different categories of a stakeholder that might be interested in various um, data sets, be that for, for planning or, as Clive was saying, kind of footfall purposes. So we'll start to explore more of that spatial data that's available for, uh, for towns. Thank you, Linda. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. It, it's uh, I know a little bit about uh, uh, smart towns, but I'm going to hopefully I'll learn, know a lot more by the end of uh, the masterclasses. So I'd like to bring the session to an end. I'd like to thank Linda, Wendy, Stephen, Steve, and Clive for the contribution which has set us on our way today. I'd like to thank the supporting cast because uh, I've been supported by uh, Sarah from The Hub, Peter, Peter Davis, Darren Mosley, Matt Perryman from Welsh Government. Uh, so as a team behind putting these together. And also to thank you, the audience, for your contributions. Uh, hopefully we'll see you in January. So I'd like to finish by saying Nadolik Llawen, Blwyddyn Newydda, Happy Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Thank you.